Welcome to our brand new show It's not that complicated so listen close We'll go through IMDB Reviewing all of an actor's movies Blank spank, blank spank Blank spank, blank spank Blank spank, blank spank Blank spank Jamie, uh, last week we kind of began the show by talking about childish things. Video games for Jamie's Gamey Corner. And this week I decided that we need to put aside our childish toys. Okay? Goodbye, youth. Farewell, video games. Ooh, Call of Duty. Uh, call away. Uh, today, Jamie, I'm going to ask you a serious man question. Okay? okay. Which is manly and aggressive and ooh... What is your favourite crime that is committed in a movie that, if committed in real life, you'd find horrific? Uh, that is an interesting question. That if I'd been... Uh, <laughs> what, what, a, what a fantastic discussion point that I actually like. That if only I'd been given time to prepare. <laughs> if only I'd been warned about this. If only I'd had time to actually think and I didn't have to think on my feet. Uh, I'm sure I could cover, this could uh, prompt some uh, really shall interesting I, discussion points. I... So I, why I can don't let you think why, about why, it? I can let you get back yeah, to it. Yeah, why and don't, some point why don't will... you go? Because clearly you've thought about it. I, I, interestingly, Jamie, and look, this is rare. So I want I want to acknowledge to everyone listening to this podcast. We're actually going to talk about, a little bit about the film before the film. But there was a joke very early on in this movie where um, someone go, uh, not someone, Steve Carell goes to the, the Rock and says, "Where well, you been, The Rock? Assassinating someone?" And The Rock goes, "Assassinations are illegal." You know that. And they both laugh. I didn't like this joke because assassinations are illegal and that's because they're very bad. And there's a specific history of the US assassinating people that is bad. But it made me think that maybe assassination is my favourite thing that happens in a film that I would not like to happen in real life. Like, John Wick killing people as an assassin in real life, that's bad. In movies, that's good. Okay, well, uh, interesting that you use... I, like, it, I, I, this is a completely different discussion, but you said that John, Wick's kill people as an, John Wick kills people as an assassin. And I fully agree that John Wick is probably an assassin. But are the murders that he commits assassinations? Don't assassinations need to have some level of stature for the victim in order to, to elevate themselves from murder to assassination? Or perhaps maybe there's a political motive, but then maybe that makes it terrorism? I don't know. No, it's, a, it's the financial motive that m- makes something from... Uh, no, I think it... I believe it goes to ah, Jamie weirdly I know way too much of assassins because one time I read a Guardian article four years ago there are four tiers of assassins right okay Um, at least defined by the, the, the kind of general thing the first is the most common, which is to say it's someone who... So obviously there's assassinations in terms of like a political assassination or, or the kind of motivated murder of a, of a uh, well-known figure. That's kind of separate from like assassins, where uh, in terms of assassins, the kind of four tiers are... First tier is you go to... Like you want to kill someone. Let's say you want to kill... Um, I'm going to need to pick someone who's not actually related to us. Um, your cat. Uh, <laughs> and... So you go Wait, you to, think you, I'm you, not related to my cat? That's a bit mean. <laughs> Jamie, you're not biologically related to your cat. I'll tell you what. They are I'm my not sure child, what Alexander. Doing to that cat, but come on. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so you want to kill a cat. So you go to Ellen and you say, Ellen, here's 50 quid. Go kill the cat. Okay. See, Ellen goes to kill the cat. Odds see, are she's going to be maybe, found out in like the next day. That, that's, I, that's the first tier of assassin. Yeah, but I, maybe I don't want to be uh, you know, found disagreeing with uh, the, the paragon of... Um, of journalism that is the Guardian, I'd call that your bog standard hitman. I don't, I don't think they deserve the title of assassin. There, that's a hitman, my boy. <laughs> J- Jamie, 
as someone, oh god, we're back into the video game conversation. As someone who's played the games, Hitman, yeah, Hitmans and Assassins are the same thing. <laughs> I, but they're different tiers. Okay, it's, yeah. on a, it's on a spectrum. It is okay, on a spectrum. On a spectrum. Okay. Because I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say Hitman, because the bottom tier would be, I believe, the bottom tier is someone who hasn't done it before. So you don't go to that person being like, well, that's just a murderer, Alexander. If you've not well, done it before, it's not your profession. It's just, you're a murderer. <laughs> you're doing it for money, which means you are, so Jamie, if you are, if you have sex for money, in that moment you are a prostitute. Whether okay. or not you are, and and a, if a, and if know, I kill someone for money, whether it's my first time or not, I sure. I in that moment I'm a hitman. Okay. Yeah. So I believe the first tier is uh, you just go to Ellen and say, "Can you kill someone for me?" And I was like, "Yeah, but, sure." But, so it's but most, just, it's mostly just crime of circumstance. Okay. But would crime I say that my cat has Ellen been assassinated? For killing people. I believe crime, uh, level number two is like Ellen is known for killing people. Okay. Um. But again, not particularly, uh, you know, smart about it. Just kill a few people. Um, you go, Ellen, uh, kill this cat for me. And Ellen goes, uh, how much? And you go, ooh, a thousand pounds. And you're, she's like, yeah, I'll kill the cat for you. And then Ellen kills the cat. Okay, but again, I don't think I Ellen would... starts being a mass murderer. <laughs> Alexander, we, we are, this is not my question. I'm very glad that you have a very detailed breakdown of the tears of assassins. Yes. But I was not talking about the people. I was talking about the acts. And I okay. don't think that no. my cat has been assassinated in that situation. Because my cat, as much as I love my cat, is not important enough to be, to be assassinated. Let's look at this up because I I believe that the assassination could either be defined as um, the. I've got this is uh, I'm on a list now because I've just googled assassination or murder. Oh, you know what? This is the worst dictionary definition ever. Noun: the action of assassinating someone. That's fucking uh, not so helpful I, at all. Uh, I from from. <laughs> <laughs> the English Stack Exchange dot com. Uh, I do have a definition that assassination is the murder of a prominent person or uh, political figure by a surprise attack, usually for payment or political reasons. So payment does come in there, but but not the idea of yeah. it then being a prominent person. Where so John Lennon is assassinated, my cat yeah. killed. That's interesting. That, but it's interesting that an assassin could just could both commit assassination and also just murder yeah like i mean obviously he's gonna be murder anyway but it's interesting that like it only becomes assassination due to the prominence of the person so that's interesting curious curious so jamie uh, you've had some time to think oh, oh, yeah, favorite movie crime? <laughs> uh favorite movie crime uh that would actually be horrendous in uh real life um uh, it, i don't know why but it's it's the one that immediately came to mind uh at the end of uh jump 22 jump street i believe yes at the end of 22 jump street and i guess it was in the forefront of my mind given uh its relation to uh today's movie both being action comedies uh about police um at the end of that movie uh jonah hill takes a live grenade uh and throws it into a helicopter that is flying over an extremely populated beach like wildly populated beach and look i get that i think uh this man maybe sold some drugs or something um i just think the uh the repercussions there and the potential risks being taken really don't match the the crime This returns to um, a topic of conversation, uh, dear listeners, which... So I guess this is a companion episode, then, uh, to Tanner and Hooch, in which I explained (laughs) my thesis for comedy violence, which is to say, uh, violence is okay in a movie as long as the crime being committed is wacky enough, right? 
If it's not wacky, it's just police violence you're showing. Well, well, I guess we, I mean. we will we will discuss that in uh, in uh, regards to this uh, movie in a minute. But goodness gracious, Alexander, we are eight minutes into the show, and I have not yet said wow. hello and welcome to Blank Spank Season Two, The Hathaway Stash Away. The show where we're... Oh, I almost forgot it for a second. The show where we're chronologically reviewing Anne Hathaway's entire IMDb. I'm Jamie Loxon, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Al Gillespie. Say hello, Al! Hello, Al. So, Al, you started... Uh, let, let's get... Before we... You know, this 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 has been far too uh, sincere of a, a discussion so far uh, about actual movies. Uh, so before we uh, continue delving ourselves into uh, this week's movie of Get Smart, uh, you wanted to pose to me uh, a very adult serious question to open the show and i have um uh, uh an adult serious question uh, in response um not in response just an adult and serious question of my own have you ever eaten so many noodles it's like fucked up your day because al i ate so many noodles earlier today and it's it genuinely fucked me up i don't know what like it came set it was one of those ones where it came separate from the soup and and so it was like a whole tupperware box of noodles and i just kept on pouring it in the soup it wasn't even very good noodles and as soon as i finished i was like fuck i'm in trouble (laughs) like there is something wrong going on in my body right now so i have uh one follow-up question then i can give an answer depending on the question as you may or may not know recently i moved to north america and to my eternal horror uh everyone here refers to pasta quite often as noodles okay i don't like this because i feel like there ought to be if you were to say pasta noodles i'd be more okay with it but they often just refer to pasta as the noodles when you refer to pasta here so noodles here are you referring to noodles as in the kind of asian form of pasta uh, yes, I, I am referring to uh, the Asian form of pasta uh, from a place called Typhoon. Typhoon. It was a uh, Thai-inspired uh, noodle soup, um, and I ate so much that I had to take a nap, and then when I woke up from the nap, I felt like I was hung over. Good, good. This returns to my second point, then. Uh, I, 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 With noodles? No. However, I have a good pasta story about being too full from pasta. Ah, oh, fantastic. So do I afterwards, f- so go ahead. In, in my first year of university... Uh, I was kind of living in a, a student hall's flat kind of situation. Um, I uh, was given before I left, and I, I, I liked cooking a lot, as Jamie's, you know, I, I enjoy cooking. Um, and I was given a, a version, I think, of Jamie uh, Oliver's kind of um, cheap eats, kind of like like meals for under twenty pound, kind of thing. Yeah, um, I think he had a series gift. of them. Sure, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. And in the back was a recipe for carbonara, and I think it was like a like a meal for four for five pounds, and. I shit you not, for the last, like, six months of my time in that hall, I would kind of once or twice a week just make this entire pasta for four people. Like a full, like a full massive carbonara thing in a giant wok. Like a a bloody (laughs) massive wok. I pour the entire box of pasta in there and then I would just eat it and lie on the couch dying each time thinking, (laughs) well, this is a good way. Like, it's all I would eat that day. It was the only thing I would eat in a day and it would be an entire serving of pasta for four people. Uh, Shockingly, I I have now realised I have two more stories about eating too much pasta. Um, So the first occurred when I was around about uh, probably 12 uh, and my brother, who was four years old on me, so he was around 16 at the time, had his friend over you remember when you know other people were allowed in your home um and uh, it was after school or something like that and my parents went around uh, and we were tasked with just making ourselves some food so we were making some spaghetti 
Uh, and we had an entire pack of spaghetti there. Uh, and we didn't know how much to make. The classic conundrum. How much dry pasta do you make per person? Uh, yeah. And my brother's friend, uh, in the bold confidence of a 16-year-old, said, well, normally I have around about 250 to 300 grams of pasta myself. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but we we went on that basis, and we were like, well, this packet is a kilogram, so... You know, three times 300, that's 900. Let's just make the whole thing. So we made a kilogram of pasta for three teenage boys. Jesus. (laughs) And I've got to say it was probably within within three or so minutes. Like, you know how pasta gets a little bit bigger. Like, not a huge amount bigger, but, like, a little bit bigger in the pot. And so within about three minutes, when it was, like, the largest pot we had and there was barely enough space to, like, swirl it around. And I I beg you, we did not even make it halfway through that pasta. And my mum comes back and there's half a kilogram of cooked (laughs) pasta just sat on the side. And that links me very uh, nicely to um, my third and final eating too much pasta story. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so uh, my uh, girlfriend, uh, very unfortunately, had to spend quite a lot of time living with me and my family over the last year. Uh, and so uh, one of my favorite dishes that my mum makes uh, is her spaghetti bolognese. Now, my mum is a very good cook anyway. I love my mum's cooking. Everyone knows that. I'm a big mama's wife and my mum's cooking. But there's something very specific that I'd apparently never noticed about uh, my spaghetti, uh, my mum's spaghetti bolognese. Um, and, and Ellen describes it as I go into essentially a trance-like state when I'm consuming this spaghetti bolognese where I will just eat and eat and and she is convinced that like if you just kept on ladling more and more spaghetti onto the plate, I wouldn't notice. I absolutely would not notice. I would just keep on consuming. And so I have decided that if I do ever have to uh, choose my own way of death, uh, that would be it. It would be just constantly spooning spaghetti, my mum's spaghetti bolognese, onto my plate uh, and just eating it until uh, until I die. Uh, so we are 15 minutes into the show and all we've spoken about is spaghetti so far. So, uh, goodness gracious, let's uh, get on to uh, this week's film. Um, so are we going to do a bit of a bit of law this week or have we fucked around too much? No, I, I think we've... Jamie, some weeks are law-heavy weeks, some weeks we're just actually a film podcast and that's okay. <laughs> so if you want to uh, hear more about what the hell's going on, why there's an apocalypse and uh, and why we are watching Anne Hathaway's films to galvanise humanity to fight back against the aliens, well, go back and listen to episode 100 because uh, we did a full deep dive on, uh, on that episode. Uh, but suffice to say that the stakes are high uh, and thus, we must get on to this week's film uh, from 2008, Get Smart. And before we get into uh, talking a little bit about the, his- the film context of the film, is it, of course, uh, a section of the podcast which I never forget about and absolutely have prepared, just like I do every single week. Uh, and that is Top of the Bops. And that is when I just play a little bit of the song that was number one when this movie came out in 2008. Uh, and... I don't know. I I think it's a little bit of a divisive one this week. Uh, you might consider it a bop. You might not. 
Uh, but number one uh, on the 22nd of August 2008, uh, when Get Smart came, was released in theatres in the United Kingdom, was none other than I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry. Married Russell Brand. <laughs> a really weird turn. Um, so yes, uh, I, I, undeniably, you know, a catchy pop song. Oh, it's a uh, but it's the just a jam that I know is there is there is a long list of things that like you know like songs that you like that if you play in a certain situation you know that people will be upset uh, my favorite of this was i once knew someone didn't like the song i'll make a man out of you but i thought it was like in a jokey way so i played it in a like warm-up for rehearsal they did not like it they really did not everyone else was like oh man what a great song and they did not like it and i feel guilty about that to this day um i know too many people who i think if i played i kiss a girl i, w- I would get talking to but I would not play it <laughs> look it came out when i was a 15 year old boy at an all boys yeah. private school that's Same. the closest well, no. i had to an orgasm <laughs> it, <laughs> just listening I, to that song it is it is an interesting time because it brings me so much back to um uh just being for me it was about 13 uh no 13 12 who even knows but um and like that kind of like first year it was you know katie perry splinter still slightly rocky which was kind of nice um no it, it, it's uh, yeah, look, okay, maybe, yeah. what I find, I want to just, I want to just two things, uh, one, I want to quickly side note about Katy Perry, and this is my trend of, um, unfortunately, I think my partner might fall into this, but North Americans who really like British people, I find kind of weird, like, I, I guess this is the closest, you know, like, think of, like, a Taylor Oh, Swift. you mean, I, would, I was about to Google, <laughs> is Katy Perry British? I was really confused no, what no, you were no, saying, no. she falls under that category of people who, uh, yes, really like British people. Yeah, um, and that she's matching Russell Brand and Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Which unfortunately suggests there is a trend there that she just likes British accents, and I find that weird. And like, I hate to say it, Taylor Swift also has a bit of a track, at least in recent years, has a track record at least of Harry Styles, then Calvin Harris, who to be fair is like distinctly Scottish, so I guess different. Um, Calvin Harris, who uh, with with the power of money went from being Scottish and unattractive to uh, just, just <laughs> Scottish and slightly more attractive, and then she ended up with the bloody guy from the favourite. Uh, and Taylor and Smith. she said Tom Hiddleston hasn't she? Yes, and also Tom Hiddleston. Um, so it's 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 it, there's clearly a trend there of she likes British people. Yeah, you know. There's even a song about London Boy. God, yes, the, yes, my least. I like that song. album. I hate hot that take. Song. Hot take I hate about that Lover. Song so much. It's, it's a bad song. It's it's like hot take about Lover. Lover is actually a good album on which all the singles from it were the worst songs on the album, <laughs> and that is bizarre to me that like they made the series of choices about these singles and they were the wrong choices every time. Every time they were the right choice, and I don't get that. The second thing is Jamie. Have you come <laughs> round on? You made a mistake last week. <laughs> Uh, when it came to talking about one-hit wonders, uh, you made a mistake. Yes, last week, I, for, for people who did not listen to uh, last week's episode, uh, I, did, I didn't I did necessarily claim uh, that the Proclaimers were a one-hit wonder, but when Al said that they weren't, I did make a face. <laughs> uh, and I might have had numerous arguments with my Scottish girlfriend over the last week about this. And all I would like to say is that I was perhaps harsh 
to call them one-hit wonders. However, I would like to... I, I, as I have said to my girlfriend, where I fall down on it is that the grand majority of people especially outside of Scotland. And I have to I have to point out that the two people who have vehemently disagreed with me on this are both Scottish. So that might be making a difference. The grand majority of people outside of Scotland would only know the Proclaimers as the 500 miles people. Does that necessarily make them a one-hit wonder? Probably not. They have released other very successful um, uh, albums and very successful songs. In fact, um, I'm going to be... Uh, is also a very well-known song by that I think a lot of people would know but might not necessarily associate with the Proclaimers as immediately as they do 500 Miles. So was One Hit Wonders harsh? Yes. Do I still believe that in the public conscious they are mostly defined by the song 500 Miles? Also, yes. And I beg you not to have a I am giving ground. I am giving ground. I am giving ground. Just meet me there and let's 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 meet there, hold hands and walk off and talk about Get Smart. I, I can. Jamie, uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, as, as proved in many historical ways, um, people are stupid. Yes. Uh, I can agree with you. All right. People are idiots and they don't appreciate the proclaimers for the goddamn brilliance they are. All right. British fucking band in the Fantastic. World. You are an absolute. Is there is there any other band, and I genuinely mean this, with any song that is as passionately felt um, at weddings, like because at any Scottish wedding you go to, some proclaimers music is going to come on and everyone's going to come onto the dance floor, and that's great. And I don't know if there's anyone who's m- more tightly associated with a country and weddings. Uh, I mean, almost certainly not. I would say just in terms of, uh, especially for our generation, a song to get everyone absolutely, especially white people, absolutely fucking hyped. Mr. Brightside is the obvious example. But oh, that is, and, and I would say that what Mr. Brightside, although I know that it's quite popular in the United States, I think it's very strongly associated with Britain in general. Um, yeah, yeah. But but I wouldn't say that that association is as strong to its nationality as the Proclaimers is to Scotland. And that's probably because most Scottish people don't sing in their accents. Uh, and so it's one of the rare songs where you can, you can fucking hear that they're Scottish. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I will say, the only other equivalence wasn't at a wedding, but uh, the flashback the time we had a, a party and uh, King Kunta went on. And uh, uh, apparently, just our entire friend group went fucking eight shit. Was uh, a time, you know? That was yes, a time. yeah, yeah. When um, when all when all of your parents were there and young children. Yes, I do uh, distinctly remember that. Yes, thank at that you point, for several thank you for now were, broadcasting uh, it to the world. As as as, as someone um, walked off, uh, told me the day afterwards, where they were like, "Yes, you're." Uh, they took their kids out after that song. <laughs> it was, to be fair, at that point, I think like half twelve at night. Oh yeah, so no, I, I it, think... it was. It was very late. The children shouldn't have been there anyway, and I would say we were doing yeah. a public service to uh, to get them away. Uh, they should have gone still. to bed. Yeah. Um, Goodness gracious, Alexander, you are a tangent machine today. (laughs) Let's get ourselves back on track uh, and talk about uh, this week's film, Get Smart, uh, for which you are going to give me some lovely uh, film context. What can you tell me about uh, the 2008 film, Get Smart? Okay, the 2008 film, Get Smart, uh, based on the 1960s uh, comedy TV show, um, which originally was kind of created by Mel Brooks, uh, who you might know from the history of comedy and yeah, from, from being Mel Brooks. <laughs> 
Yeah, the the hey, who's Mel? What's Mel Brooks associated with? You might ask. Um, the Simpsons. Uh, like every like everything, give or take. Um, the the producers. Uh, Blazing Saddles. Uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Spaceballs. Mel Brooks is like a very. He has a distinct style of comedy. It's, it's kind of wacky. It's very like. Uh, it, it is Python esque in a way, but often quite uh Python esque in a, a much more Jewish way. Um. And, yeah, you know, kind of very much riding that trend in the 60s of kind of James Bond fever type thing, right? Like like kind of a pastiche of that in a sense. A, 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 a 1960s version of Johnny English, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, of course, uh, this, uh, as as many people do, the, the men in Hollywood, they kind of sit down, they put their legs up and they go, man, see, we need to make some money. See, how are we going to make some money? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll revive this property that no one really remembers that well. Uh, in the same way that the film uh, The Fugitive was a uh, revival of uh, a TV show. Uh, I mean, and, I and Jump Street as well. Classic example. Jump Street, yes. Jump Street, I think, does it more as an explicit follow on from that TV. like there are references to the tv show in it uh i don't want to spoil yes and that. and references from yeah there are original cast members that make cameos and stuff yeah uh jump street man what a what a solid two oh, movies oh i'm gonna talk about it when, when we get to talking about this movie yeah. don't worry i'm gonna be talking about jump street way more <laughs> that makes me think about how um very sadly uh they were doing a star wars movie and then they they would stopped doing a star wars movie. yes so yeah the creators of jump street very, very sad um or, or conversely, that they were going to do a Jump Street Men in Black film, and then that never happened. That yeah. that makes me sad because that would have been great. More Jump Street movies, please. Uh, yes. Outside of that, uh, of course, in this movie, the context of this movie, starring Steve Carell, uh, also starring Anne Hathaway, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Masai Oka, uh, Terence Stamp. Um, you know, a, 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 a big cast. Bill Murray in a cameo. Yeah, Bill Murray in a cameo. Uh, Dave David Koechner, who people would recognise from The Office, uh, also appears. Alan Arkin, uh, James Alan Khan. Arkin, James Khan. Yeah, they're, they're pretty Patrick pretty big Walton. cast. Pretty big cast. Yeah, many of men. There's there's one woman. Yes, there, there is there is one there is one woman in this movie. Um, well, there's slightly more than one, but like only one woman who you know the name of in this entire movie. Uh, the movie cost eighty million dollars. Um, which seems, you know, I guess it's an action comedy and some things blow up. Uh, I, I feel most of this is probably spent on the one good action sequence, which is uh, when they jump out of a plane. Uh, that was actually shot uh, in real life, not obviously starring with Anne Hathaway and Steve Carell. Uh, they aren't Tom Cruise. We don't have just two Tom Cruises here. That'd be ridiculous. But no. um, um, in, in fact, I, I, I don't know if you noticed, um, I believe in one of the later scenes... Uh, I'm fairly sure one of Steve Carell's stunt doubles straight up was not white. I got a very quick shot of him in the uh, in the laser scene, and uh, that man did not look anything like Steve Carell. Uh, so yes, they definitely had a lot of stunt doubles in this movie. Fucking hell! Uh, I, I assume yes. you're about to tell me how much mo- money this movie made because I was just looked at it. I did not know how much money this movie made. Yeah, this movie made about like two hundred thirty million dollars, two hundred twenty yeah. million dollars. Which is a lot of money. I mean, in the sense of if you spend eighty million dollars on a movie, you want it to make give or take around about that much. Like that's yeah. that's um, both a lot. It's in the very depressing way that is a lot of movie money for a movie, and also for in the modern world where the fucking Lion King remake made over a billion dollars. Um, also, not that much money. For yeah, but this is. I so mean, this is two thousand and eight. This is this is yeah, uh, like like but just the, Jamie, before Avengers comes out around this time, doesn't it? Uh, then just comes out 2012. Oh, does it? Uh, what does come out in 2008 is Avatar. Avatar, yeah. 
But I, I, I think Avatar, Avatar is more of an exception than than a uh, like precursor to the rule. Avatar was a big event movie, the whole three D thing, everything. Yeah. Like I would say, it's not until the mid mid teens is when you start yeah. getting okay. Now movies are just regularly well, cracking even, out. Even then, depressingly, right? Movies. It was like the billion dollar movie thing. Give or take. So obviously, kind of, I'm trying to think. Of, uh, obviously, there are movies, and as always, the, the movie that has made the most historically is uh, Gone with the Wind, right? Just yeah. for inflation, Gone with the Wind always wins in terms of uh, money made at the box office. Um, that said, uh, yeah, in terms of billion dollar movies during that period, you have um, it goes Avatar, uh, Avengers makes 1.2 billion after in 2012. Um, I think The Dark Knight makes over a billion. Actually, does The Dark Knight make? Uh, the Dark Knight does make over a billion in 2008 as well. Doesn't, yeah. Okay. So, so you have these things, but again, they're not really of the rule. In like those are like both Avatar and like the Dark Knight. As much as you, they are. Uh, well, Avatar is not built on an existing property. So, like you said, actually, Avatar is the exception to rule in that it's a new IP. It's an event film in terms of like, hey, this is really weird. And yeah, um, no, I've just had like there are. A, of the top 50 most highest grossing movies, uh, only nine of them came out before uh, 2010. Like there, there has been, yeah. there has been a big explosion since yeah. since the uh, the mid teens. In a in in the kind of depressing <laughs> way, which is like, yay, these, like hey, movies making money, but it's also just like less movies are making a lot of money. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some movies are just swallowing up everything, uh, and it's kind of sad. Like why did Jurassic World make over a billion dollars? No. Yeah, and like the the last two fucking Fast and Furious movies both made over a billion dollars. Like. Crazy. Did Jesus Christ? Like, yeah, Furious Seven and Fate of the Furious. Oh, maybe I, those aren't the last two, but either way, they are the last two. F Nine is uh, coming out. Was delayed from last year. It's weird. Anyway, um, outside of that, uh, in terms of other fun facts, the director uh, was Peter Siegel, um, who uh, directed some of the Naked Gun. I think directed uh, Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third. Um, he also directed Fifty uh, First Dates, so not like not exactly a, the Longest Yard. So some films that people like, not necessarily. Well, there's a the... there's a connection to the Longest Yard in this movie. Uh, the Great Carly, for, for people who uh, know uh, WWE, uh, the wrestler, the Great Carly, appears as a, a villain in this, and he also appears in the Longest Yard. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I did not like the how he's introduced in this film, and we will touch on that when we get to that. Nope. It's um, not great. Nope. I do not like it. Uh, that oh the only other thing was they also like eleven days after the film was released. Yes, uh, I want to talk about months, this. This is very strange. They released a direct to DVD movie called Get Smarks, um, Lloyd and Max uh, get get in trouble or something like they released uh, a, 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 a I believe DVD it's, feature. Yes, uh, uh, Bruce and Lloyd out of control because the the company that they work for is called Control. But yes, that is. Very strange. That so they those two characters are the like you know the inner classic of uh, of this sort of movie. They're the the two nerdy techie guys who create all of the um, uh, all of the gadgets, but no one particularly likes except for the main character. Um, but yes, they they got an entire seventy minute spin off movie, uh, which Anne Hathaway does appear in, although she is uncredited. Uh, I have watched. Uh, the 60 second clip uh, which he appears in um, just to check whether I wanted to force us to watch it next week uh, but uh, but I'm not going to make us do that uh, but I will talk about it 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 is makes the like most slightest allusion to the actual film but she is only in it for 60 seconds and Steve Carell is never in it uh, though I think like Terry Crews appears in it as well uh, like some of the main cast is still appearing in it but none of the high billing people yeah no it's it's 
kind of weird. Apparently, he made, I think he made his money back. That was actually directed, weirdly, by the director of 10 Things I Hate About You, one of the kind of top-tier uh, 90s scene movies. Um, I just... But, can you explain... Like, this? that's not a common thing, right? To make a direct-to-DVD spin-off movie alongside your movie before it's even been successful. Like, I get making a direct-to-DV spin-off once the film's been successful, but they clearly filmed and made this while they were also making the other movie. Just being like, oh, this is going to fucking smash. Let's 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 make a spin-off. My, you're right, it's a weird, weird thing. My guess is it was an attempt at some kind of marketing for the movie, right? So, like... Like it was, it was a weird. It's it is obviously a marketing move in terms of like why else would you release it eleven days after it was in cinema, um, and you know like like hey, I don't even know like I I guess they probably just made it ultra cheap, um, Must and kind of pushed done. it out and obviously you know made some money back so maybe it's not normal no you're right it's not a normal thing. Um, I, I'm even trying to think of like movies with spin-offs made at the same time. The only kind of cases I can think of tend to be movies which are improv movies, so they just had more footage. So like the Anchorman. Yeah, Anchorman um, too. But even that wasn't released at the same time. That was like a we we made it, we released it. I believe. Maybe I'm incorrect. Uh, I believe. Actually, no. Maybe maybe I'm confusing that with Anchorman too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anchorman. The other Anchorman one I think was was released on DVD when the DVD came out. I think they also maybe like uh, not long after its release. I think it was like Anchorman two. Good night, Wrong Burgundy, or like uh, or just, Wake like, Up, Anch- Wrong Burgundy. Um, yes. It was released in 2004, December 28th, 2004. Let's find out when the original Anchorman came out. Uh, June twenty eighth, two thousand four. So about six months later. Sure. So that that's that's a a kind of particular case, I guess. Like it, no, it, it's it's very uncommon. So I, I don't quite know why they did that. Um, you know, I don't think it hurt the film. Obviously, obviously the film, the film made a lot of money. So interesting. Um, I just want to say the last thing is that the t- uh, tagline for this movie sucks. Uh, saving oh, the world the and loving it. Sorry, repeat that. Saving the world and loving it. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense about what the well, movie's just, about. I well, I think he wants to be a spy. I just feel like he doesn't convey that very well unless you've seen the film. Yeah, no, not particularly. Um, I also do want to uh, mention that um, uh, this this is uh, came out uh, in August of two thousand and eight, uh, and preceded uh, a three month run where Anne Hathaway had a movie come out every month for three months she her next movie uh rachel getting married came out in september of 2008 and her next movie after that passengers came out in october of 2008 she was cranking out movies at this time in fact i think she made something like 16 movies over the next six years uh include and then on top of that you know a couple like tv appearances as well she is fucking hammering out movies at this point in her career before we start talking about the film, then, do you want to quickly do Six Degrees of Tom Hanks? Yes, of course. <laughs> you you tell me how to do my job, Alexander. I, I know. No, no, I know. no. I, that was called a segue. That's called a segue. I just segued it. <laughs> I just, a, I just thought a, I was going to do a, a segue. Not, like, not a great a, segue. It's not a segue. There's no connection to just go, okay, now do you want to do the next bit? <laughs> Uh, but I'm yes. on a segue right now, Jamie. I'm physically I'm just zooming around. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I should have mentioned that. Uh, it, it does make a more. I, I'm getting a much more. This is an action comedy, so I'm I, I'm getting the action, and the the listeners are getting the comedy. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, so yes, let's do six degrees of uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, this is the um, 
section of the podcast where we are connecting these movies to our erstwhile season one star Tom Hanks uh, by virtue of the game Six Degrees of Separation where we must connect uh, this film to a film that Tom Hanks has been by people who have starred in it. Uh, so I have mine. I believe I can do it in two. Oh, I can do it in... Think three. So, Ooh. Uh, well, we'll start. We'll start with your, your in in uh, yeah. in countdown style. We'll start with your three. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so for me, it is that uh, Alan Arkin uh, stars in Fargo alongside Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck stars in. Uh, oh no, this doesn't count because they're not the same episode. Fuck. Oh, I can get my like TV show. So, uh, so this doesn't count. So your okay. one will work. I had Ben Affleck stars in. Um, uh, uh, ben Affleck stars in uh, Good War Hunting with Matt Damon. Matt Damon stars in uh, Thirsty Rock, and uh, Tom Hanks was also in Thirsty Rock. They weren't in the same episode, so it doesn't count. <laughs> wait, 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 Alexander! I would like to point out an error in your way. Your way of getting from Matt Damon to Tom Hanks is Thirsty Rock. Oh, not saving private fucking Ryan. There you go. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Al. Um, no, I can do this in two steps. Uh, of course, in this movie is Steve Carell, uh, who I don't know if you heard, he was in a little indie project uh, called uh, The Office uh, with Amy Adams uh, in a couple of episodes, uh, or maybe even just one episode. She, I believe she plays a saleswoman that comes in and uh, John Krasinski uh, flirts with her. Um, I can't remember whether it's a multi-episode arc or not, but either way, she's in it, and Amy Adams is, in fact, in two Tom Hanks projects. Uh uh, not Captain Phillips. What's it called? Uh, Charlie Wilson's War and uh, Catch Me If You Can. And there oh, you go. Good movies. Two steps. Those are very good movies. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember when we reviewed good movies? <laughs> hey, uh, we reviewed Brutal Mountain not that long ago. We both yeah. kind of liked Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, we didn't no, love yeah, it, but yeah. we kind of liked it. I mean, I gave it, it a four point five. Apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> already, we're going. You that. just like I love how the big. This reminds me so much of um, early Tom Hanks, where you'd be like, "Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess Joe versus the volcano is a four because <laughs> you just hadn't been watching crap for a very long time." Oh dear. Um, so yeah, let's talk about uh, this film. Get smart, Jesus, Al, <laughs> Al. I would like you to yeah. just have a quick look at your uh, your your recording time. Do you, do you have a Do you have a quick look there at how long we've been going Ooh. already? Ooh. I tell you what, Jamie, just go in and cut out the story about uh, all our friends uh, rapping along. Ah, uh, yes, ah, uh, yes, that was, and that we'll was... save ourselves a good two minutes. So let's do that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so yes, uh, it's your favourite part of the show, Alexander. So I will seed. Uh, I, I would like to everyone you. to know that uh, we didn't, uh, we, we weren't offensive in rapping along to Kendrick Lamar. We just kind of all sat in silence uh, in any sections <laughs> in that song, which required us to sit in silence. I just want to make that known, just in case, just in case, guys, just in case. I, 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 don't, I want you to have a mental image of a bunch of people weirdly with their tops off or bopping up and down. <laughs> oh, and I really words, thought you like, weren't going to mention that part, Alexander. And uh, when some words came on, we all just didn't say anything. And we moved on, okay? I was Very really important. hoping we you were going to not include the topless part. You avoided <laughs> saying it the first time and you you circled background to include it it's so much worse when you include that detail <laughs> what is the uh. sorry are you saying that the, the mental image of uh, a bunch of topless people just popping and rapping to Kendrick <laughs> but but respectfully rapping really important um 
Uh, what was I going to say? You were going to say this film begins as all good films should. And that's what you should have said, Alexander. You can go back and edit this out. Please do. Um, no. You're not going to. But like, you know, no, because I didn't welcome say welcome to edit out all the problematic things we've said in this. Um, uh, but, um, yes. So, uh, this, this film begins. Film begins. begins. I was, I've been thrown off by the memory of a bunch of just topless people just bopping along to Kendrick. Um but, uh, yes, so this film begins as all good films should, with Steve Carell going through a series of checkpoints uh, and big doors that slide open and shut, and he can't get through them. He's Maxwell Sparts. That's right. Is it a super name? Sure. Why not? He's an analyst at Control. You might think that Control uh, stopped in the Cold War, as we kind of uh, are, are told uh, via ex- exposition via... Uh, tour guide but control is still about uh they face up against their mortal enemies chaos uh who i assume also just want chaos uh <laughs> and uh, you know they they're kind of like a super secret spy agency that reports to the vice president of the united states why not the president who knows who else is here at control why i think you'll find one dwayne the rock, dwayne johnson. The rock johnson that's right looking quite young like like yeah I, like i get that it's and 12 little. years ago but like he, he looks really quite young in this movie yeah. in a way that like steve carell i guess steve carell looks really fucking old these days but anyway yeah i mean uh, what i would say is that like uh also he looks kind of you know he's not as buff as he's in some later things all right he's not he's no not he's the yeah, insane he's, he's, size he gets to later yeah um so it's kind of like a skinny the rock you know the, the, the <laughs> Sk- skinny skinny alexander yeah. you for go hit, tell that him. to 2008 dwayne the rock johnson's face <laughs> just go up, no that's why he starts putting on the weight i gave him unfortunately my comments caused him to have body dysmorphia put on a lot of muscle <laughs> and uh, uh. This, this is the episode where al's gonna say a lot of things he thinks about way too much late in the evening um but yes so uh the rock is like asian 23 he's the super cool secret agent that everyone loves and he's you know assassinating people ha 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 aren't assassinations funny no they're not yeah. they're not funny guys assassinations are bad um we then uh isn't that, basically the, isn't that basically the exact same character he plays in the other guys like two years later he's less of a Ex- dick except, he, except yeah he dies in the other guys but Yes. Spoiler for the other Spoilers, guys. Spoilers, Jamie. For Spoiler, film that's Spoiler for the first 10, 10 minutes of the other guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, he, he's kind of playing the super cool dick guy. Um, his dick's just so cool. Uh, <laughs> other things. Maxwell Smart just wants to be a field agent. Right? He's an analyst. Uh, as my uh, favorite line from the trailers for Jack Ryan tells me, uh, I can't go to Yemen. I'm an analyst. What a dumb statement. <laughs> what a dumb statement. Oh, um, ooh, analyst so yeah, he, he goes into a boardroom with, uh, I don't think you've even mentioned Terry Crews is in this movie. Um, uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, Terry Crews, Dave Koechner, uh, all the agents, and he's given a report. Uh, and his reports are apparently famously detailed. Uh, he he starts out by just being like, "Oh look, here's this little clip. Why are they drinking coffee and and why are they uh, buying high sugar drinks? Because they're stressed. Let's remember that our enemies are still people. So now, as you know from my reports, they might get a little bit boring over the next twelve hours." And he gives a really detailed report, uh, which actually will come back later as. Basically, every single detail in the first 20 minutes of this movie does. Uh, they they are... I, 
they are setting stuff up for things that will almost all win. This gold, this this film is like entirely Chekhov guns. <laughs> There's just Chekhov's yeah. guns everywhere. <laughs> Guys, we know that the uh, the the core of great comedy is set up and payoff. Uh, clearly, uh, someone and, and, has read and, the screenwriting book and yeah. is is following through on that. Yeah, callbacks, um, of course. They're the the key uh, part of comedy. Uh, so uh, we go and meet the the villains. They're doing villain stuff. Uh, they blow up a building. I, I, it, the, what the villains are actually doing is really not very important in this movie. They just seem to like to blow stuff up and have uranium and shit. Yeah, um, they, 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 Jamie, they like chaos. Chaos. I was trying to figure chaos. out what you were going for. Um, uh, we then get a scene that I would like to uh, delve into a little bit, which is clearly a training routine uh, where mm. um, Steve Carell and, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson are... Uh, sort of fighting against uh the rest of the agents uh using paintball guns but but the rules of this are a little bit odd alexander because yes if you shoot someone with a paintball gun uh, they are out but also apparently allowed in this training exercise is full-on hand-to-hand combat just alongside the paintball guns they also just beat the shit out of each other and I'm not really sure what this training exercise is actually for. Uh, but the point being uh, that um, Steve Carell gets caught out uh, by someone and it seems like they're about to lose. But then Dwayne The Rock Johnson beats everyone up uh, because he's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, uh, Alan Arkin then, is like, yeah. Alan Arkin refuses to. Uh, Maximus Smart thinks he's going to get promoted today. He's got his yeah. field test results and they're good. Uh, we are told at this point that uh, in the grand scheme of 2000 uh, comedies, which like to put people in fat suits, Steve Carell used to be fat. Yes, um, yeah, there's that, and that will come back. There's a there's a lot of fat jokes in this movie, like a lot of fat jokes, and also like inconsistent fat jokes. Like they shouldn't be making them anyway; yes. they age poorly. But there's there's a very strange inconsistency in the fat jokes that I want to talk about later. Um, yeah. But yes, sometimes Steve fat used to people be fat. are funny, and sometimes fat people are treated seriously in the comedy yes. situation. And um, it's odd. Uh, um, but yes, yeah, so he 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 teaches us all a, a very important lesson, which is don't be too good at your job. Uh, Alan Harkin yeah. tells him, "Look, you're indispensable as a data analyst. We can't put you out on the field." Uh, he's he's very sad. He goes and meets a dog um, for some he's reason. Like, I can't get you, dog, because I'm a failure. Maybe oh yes, he was gonna he was gonna buy the dog if because he yes he was gonna buy the dog if he yeah. got the promotion. Uh, at which at point, point he, Anne Hathaway he runs... runs into Steve Carell quite literally. Ha <laughs> ha! Get the joke. Um, she she sprints into him. Uh, she uh, she is out on a run, uh, and they they have a, a little little witty repartee, uh, and uh, and he's like, oh, forgive me, for my, but are you flirting? Uh, are you flirting with me? And she's like, not at all. And then he she's like, are you flirting with me? And he's like, is it working? And then she runs off, going, not at all. <laughs> and he looks <laughs> sad. Um, he goes back into uh, control and. I don't know, Alexander. There's been a little bit of chaos at control. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, everything shit. is just fucking like fully wrecked. My man has not been, has been out of that place for like four minutes, and the entire place is just raised to the ground. Um, and Hathaway pulls a gun on him, and it turns out, oh, she was actually, uh, she was actually Agent Ninety Nine, who he's love. She's got like this big reputation, and Steve Carell. And she's uh, changed her face. Yes, and she's changed like, her face. Uh, and also she immediately, like, just gets sexy for some reason. Like, she was in a running gear before, and then she's pulled a gun on him, and she's wearing, like, a, like over 
uh, it's like either an overcoat or like a cardigan or something and then she just for some reason whips it off and she's got fucking a huge low-cut dress for some reason again we saw her mere minutes ago she was in running gear what has happened I, and why is she changed into this is, evening dress i thought you were trying to explain to me in the audience that she was wearing just like this overcoat or this cardigan and damn does it look good all right just like <laughs> no. this really sexy cardigan um, all right I, and and this this links to uh, my thought that I th- I think we are still very much in the the overcorrection uh, part of Anne Hathaway's career where she was like look I'm not a princess anymore I'm not doing kids movies and so I think the majority yeah, of the reason the, she has taken this role R is rated get smart genuinely it, it's not just about i think she's like i'm gonna take this role because i get to play the sexy femme fatale and that's like really gonna pull me away from the image uh, i've had before i think she's she's like hot in everything every role she's taken at the moment irrelevant of whether it's like a serious movie or not she is desperate like really pulling herself away from uh from that like cutesy tween uh aesthetic that she's had previously my counter pitch is i think get smart is kind of a like aimed at family it's like a family aimed thing and i think she yeah. was offered about two million dollars and she went like yeah that, yes dollars. it's also very possible that she was just paid very well um but anyway so uh they uh he has like a smart plan where he throws out a, a hose and it hits all the people because he sets it off and it's one of those big fire hoses and it knocks out all the bad guys uh, and then one last guy is running through uh, and he wails him with a fire extinguisher uh, and it turns out it was alan arkin uh, and then suddenly everyone appears like every other agent is just around like all of control has been absolutely raised to hell but like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and David Koechner and Terry Crews were all just like around the corner apparently doing nothing um, uh, so yes uh, this is when we get the Bill Murray cameo which is weird uh, he's in a tree for some reason um, he, he apparently he works in communications and communications got uh, got raised to the ground so uh, he's in a tree near a secret entrance to their secret lab uh, and, and Steve Carell's like hey you're in a tree and yeah. Bill Murray's like yeah I'm in a tree a couple of cool. jokes happen and, and then that's it <laughs> they move on yeah, that, that, that is how a scene works in a comedy movie um, they go downstairs uh, controls like okay guys this is kind of uh, sad but basically we, we have no active the only, we can only use two people as field agents agent 99 could change the face we've all been compromised and uh, Maxwell Smart you're now promoted to field agent Maxwell's like ooh can I have the cone of silence it's like a bubble uh, it doesn't work uh, and he just yes, it, it, it's quite a good joke yeah, it's supposed to be like a like a uh, force field that makes everyone quiet. He tries to put it on, it doesn't work, and he's just screaming, going, "Yes, this is the best day of my life! Yes, that was amazing!" Um, in in some classic good Steve Carell line delivery. Yeah. Um, they then get on a then, plane. Yes, I, and Russia. now I I would like to explain my experience of this next scene because it's unintentionally hilarious. Um, so what actually happens in the scene is uh, they're they're sat there they're discussing and um uh, and Steve Carell goes, uh, oh. Um, you know, this is what I used to look like and shows a photo of him when he was fat. Uh, and then Anne Hathaway says, oh, this is a, a photo of what I used to look like. And it's a photo of her, j- j- just a different woman, a different woman who's uh, older, uh, but still clearly very attractive. And, and Steve Carell goes, oh, yeah, you looked, you looked horrible. Um, uh, sarcastically or like whatever you mean you know what i mean um but so obviously we'd had the reveal earlier that she'd got this plastic surgery and i i, I already in my brain was like oh i wonder like what payoff that is gonna have and i wasn't expecting it to literally just be revealed in the next scene and also have no functional comedic payoff but anyway i was looking away from the screen and i hear steve carell say um oh this is what i used to look like 
then I hear Anne Hathaway say it. But I don't look at the screen in time to see what she used to look like. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll just quickly go back and I'll see. So I go back one click and it immediately rests on the photo of fat Steve Carell. And so for, for like half a second, I thought the joke was that Anne Hathaway used to look like fat Steve Carell and then got that surgery to look like Anne Hathaway. And, and that, that was a very confusing couple of seconds, I've got to be honest, Alexander. Um, but yes, uh, so there's more fat jokes in this movie. And this is when we meet uh, the great Carly. Oh, and yes, you, 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 you go ahead, Al. In go my ahead. least favourite joke in the film, and like, uh, it's just a very 2008 joke joke of like haha remember 9-11 but also we're woke now but also if yes the joke's uh, still if, bad. if anyone doesn't so know it, uh great Kali is a seven foot indian man uh yeah, that, that's so functionally all you need to know to, to yeah, get why this joke he, he he walks in and hathaway's like i think we found our chaos agents it's definitely this guy and steve carell's like that's racial profiling it's not him and she's like just look at him and he looks and he goes Oh uh, well, you know, it's, I still, it's still going to be him. You're racially profiling him, and of course, he is the bad guy. Being like, yeah. oh, it is the so, wor- it's the worst and laziest joke, to, I, and I hate the, it the, when it's like, oh, the best I can do to defend the movie is it really tries to make it seem like what they're profiling him on is his size rather than his race because they don't say racial profiling they just say that's profiling and then when steve Carell looks around he goes oh yeah that's an evil man look at him he's so huge he's massive that's an evil man they try to make it seem like they're basing it on his size but that's clearly not why the joke was written and that's not why the great carly was was high. if you wanted if you wanted to be based on size hire the big show he also likes to act yeah. in movies or or even just like and this sounds bad but like to some extent like there is there is a problem in Hollywood in general of casting non-white actors as like the bad guys. That's a problem in general. By drawing more attention to it, you're not like getting around. You are, if, no. if anything, making the problem worse. You are saying it is the character Steve Carell being like, oh, it's bad to racially profile like people who are you know it's wrong. He's not going to be the bad guy because actually that would just be playing into the stereotype. And then the film reconfirms the stereotype. Yeah, of, exactly. Like, no, it, it doesn't. People work. who aren't white are bad. Um, like, it, I- it's just a lazy. Really at this point, um, Steve Carell has something stuck on his shoe, so he tries to get it off with a match, uh, and everyone else goes, oh my god, he's a shoe bomber! What the fuck? Get him off! He's like, no, it's just gum. And they're like, he's got a gun! Uh, and so Steve Carell gets arrested. Um, he gets arrested by the, the air marshal and put in handcuffs. Uh, he then goes to the bathroom, uh, where he pulls out his uh, pen knife, which we should have mentioned has been, uh, again, one of the Chekhov guns from the first 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, the two nerdy guys that we talked about um, uh, give him this pen knife that also has like a flamethrower and like a dart gun and uh, all these other uh, cool things. Uh, and so he's in, he asks to go to the bathroom and he's, you know, fumbling around with his tools, stabbing himself in the face with a dart. Oh, hilarity. Um uh, and eventually, uh, he behind the um, mirror there is uh, like uh, parachutes for for escape for the agents. Uh, but oh no, I think I looked away because uh, <laughs> apparently I was looking away a lot in this movie because Anne Hathaway chases him later. He he gets out of the plane basically. But Anne Hathaway chases him and he doesn't have a parachute. So did he like accidentally fall out? He, I missed that. Yeah, he he basically accidentally falls out. Anne Hathaway has to kind of catch up to him. Um, the 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 chaos agent uh, jumps out too, 
Um, they're kind of fighting in the air. It's a cool sequence, you know. It is it's, a cool sequence. It's it's a very cool stunt. It, it's cool. It feels real, which is great. Yeah, yeah. They're um, like slashing the... at each other's parachutes and stuff. Uh, eventually, um, her parachute has been slashed. She has slashed uh, the evil guy's parachute, uh, and then the evil guy is clung onto her so uh, that she is unable to uh, release her. Uh, what's it called? Emergency backup chute, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, and so uh, Steve Carell t- tries to kick him in the nuts and it makes a metallic sound for some reason. Um, he does make a fun joke of, uh, well, that definitely would have worked on me, which is funny, but also I don't understand. Like, like is the, what's the joke? Is the joke that the man is literally made of metal or is it that he is so large that his te- he doesn't feel pain in his testicles? I don't know what the joke is supposed to be, but either way. Um, that doesn't work, so Anne Hathaway kisses him on the mouth, uh, and that uh, makes him go Whoa! and uh, fall uh, and fall into a. Um, yeah. uh, he falls into a uh, shed with a pig, uh, but for some reason does not die. Um, Steve Carell is a bit, a little bit pissed at this point. He's like, "Oh, you were doing little kisses, oh, were you? We, I clearly fancy you." And I what? Did we miss the really weird joke where Steve Carell kept referring, like they were kind of like trying to figure out the cover stories in the plane, and Steve Carell oh, yes. starts w- referring to Anne Hathaway's dusty womb. If you don't have kids yes. now, you'll never yes, have kids. They, no, they, they were, they're discussing about, yeah, they're discussing about uh, how what their married backstory is, and she says like, "Oh, you want kids, but I don't," and he's like, "Oh, you get into an age, <laughs> you're like, you know, you've got eggs falling out of you." <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so. Uh, yeah, he's he's unhappy because she flaunted yeah. her sexiness and oh, how dare a woman be in control of her sexuality and not in love with me? Um, so they go to a restaurant. Uh, at which point, uh, Maxwell Smart proves that he actually can be smart. He goes to a bathroom. He hears some people speaking in Russian, and he goes, ha, 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 oh, "I can't understand you, no sprickensy Russian." <laughs> But actually, he can speak Russian and he listens to them and they're all talking about how they're selling dynamite and all their evil bad men. You know, like I always do when I'm when I'm discussing my evil plans, I just take a man at his words and I discuss it in a public bathroom. Uh, Just wise things to do at always all points. Um, So he listens in. Uh, He then uh, moves his watch over near him and it starts beeping and he goes, oh, time to take my pill. Um, at which point he goes back to Anne Hathaway and says, those guys were covered in uranium. He's like, how did you know? Oh, I've got one of these uh, these fancy uranium detecting watches. Don't you have one of those? I've got this. Yeah, I've got, got my pen knife. Of course, yeah, I've got this watch. Don't, don't you have anything? Uh, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because it will come up uh, ever so slightly um, in relation sure. to how it connects to... Uh, I mean, the... Jamie, this was also introduced via a gay joke where he comes in being like, those guys are hot. And she's like, well, oh, okay, yes. uh, let's, let's talk about that then. Uh, he's like, no, radioactive, hot. Um, ah, 2018 was the time. Um, yep, so uh, basically they learn that they need to infiltrate uh, some guy called, like, Chichkin. Um, I don't know, everyone's Russian in this movie. Uh, they need to infiltrate Pushkin. his house. Um, um, yeah, so they, so they go to his house, they kind of infiltrate it, sneakily and spyly. Uh, uh, no, Hathaway, no, no uh, they don't we, it is another example I just want to uh, reiterate that uh, Maxwell Smart is a terrible spy uh, because it will uh, point out to something that I well, dislike about the movie he is when the plot needs it to be and isn't when the plot also needs it exactly. to be exactly uh, but he he like uh, is trying to d- blow dart someone uh, and, and goes like oh it's pretty far away I'm going to need extra breath <gasps> 
and sucks the blow dart into himself. Uh, he passes out and Anne Hathaway has uh, snuck them both in, uh, got herself a sexy dress and put him in a tux. And he's like, am I wearing boxes? Oh, did you change? I don't like wearing boxes. I like wearing briefs. Um, there's there's like a, a real weird American running, man, Jamie. Like around this time, there is a weird, oh no, I, I like it happens enough time for me to note on it that there is a joke about men wearing boxes or briefs like like it happens in a decent enough amount of comedies that i'm like what what was going on in 2008 like why why was everyone obsessed with boxes versus briefs and also boxes are way better sort yourselves out lads like jamie the correct answer is clearly the boxer briefs yeah but yeah but that's just what i mean when i say boxes who wears loose boxes weirdos well that's the thing (laughs) i haven't worn like briefs properly since i was maybe nine i think exactly exactly but like it's not a good look on anybody on anybody and yet always the 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 idea of these jokes is almost always that i prefer to wear briefs because why would wear boxes they're all loose and airy and like that's why boxer briefs exist and also why why is every comedy writer thinking that it's real sexy to wear briefs anyway um they break into this party um and they're like how are we gonna find mr chechkin and then Mr. Chechkin turns up and says, hello. And Anne Hathaway goes, oh, would you like a dance? And this annoys Steve Carell. So we get Steve Carell set. owns this woman, all right? And yes. you might not have noticed this, but, this, but um, despite the fact that she's shown literally no romantic interest in him at all, ever, no. Steve no. Carell feels kind of possessive of Anne Hathaway in this movie because he's a man and he's the lead of this movie and therefore is entitled to Anne Hathaway. Yes. Uh, so uh, he cool. goes about... Uh, they, they go on to the dance floor. Uh, and we get the second fat joke of this movie where he goes up to uh, a group of women and goes, hey, do you want to dance with me? And a uh, pretty girl, like pretty skinny girl goes, oh, no, no. Why would I want to dance with you? And Steve Crow goes, I wasn't talking about you. And then they spread and what? He was talking about the overweight lady behind them. What? How could I... But man finding overweight woman sexually alluring that's not allowed what he's, surprise he's say about this joke versus the the one which i really didn't like was just the obstacle course sequence um which is the kind of the, the opening fat joke um where he basically just like is very overweight and gets dragged and stuff and is like incapable yeah. um with this one it's one of those weird cases that this is the kind of uh, what I often like to refer to as like the, often like to refer to as like the shake the thing is Shakespeare right which is like because in the world the characters take the thing seriously even though it's problematic in, in its original context in a modern context you can do it in a way which or read it in a way which is less offensive because yeah, it's, so, everything's so well like, done all that kind of stuff yeah they they have a little dance sequence and yeah and like he you takes say, it seriously he, he never takes it seriously her as a jokes no absolutely not he just recognizes so, yeah yeah i was a little bit back and the forth film... on this one specifically with with the same reason in like the film isn't necessarily openly mocking this fat person but the but seriousness with which they're taking it yeah the seriousness with which yeah. they're taking it the the joke has to be predicated upon some level of laughing or unexpectedness from yeah. from the fat person being involved in this situation so yeah, yeah i've definitely it's, seen worse jokes it's not like openly like actively, no but it, it's a yeah, yeah. It, it's not i was in a similar situation where i was like how do i feel about this like you know like how do i feel about this joke was definitely something which i, which I yeah uh, but know, so I, basically they, he's trying to make Anne hathaway jealous by doing all the sexy dancing with uh this lady and they finish off by doing a uh, dirty dancing uh lift he lifts her up in the air and everyone's like whoa that's crazy uh and then um uh, it finishes uh so uh steve Crow once again has a go at Anne hathaway being like oh were you flirting with him oh, 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 oh. 
Uh, but basically, they discover that they need to sneak into a certain area of this house to get uh, whatever the fuck they need. Uh, they go yeah. through a poop sewer, um, as, again, a weird number of movies will make their, especially action comedies, will make their main characters do. They have to go through a poop sewer for some reason. Uh, and Jamie, they end I up... I think that's just a sewer. I, think, I don't think sewers differentiate. No, no, no. They, 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 separate, they, they separate them out. They have the, this is our poop sewer. Or the poop will go in this direction. All the other stuff will go in this direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, they come up into an area that's filled with lasers. Um, uh, and Anne Hathaway, you know, she's all sexy. She's doing cartwheels through this stuff and slow. And, and, and Steve Carell's looking at her butt. Um, uh, and then Steve Carell has to go through the same uh, process, and he's surprisingly nimble. And she's like, oh, that was pretty good. And it's like, yeah, I fucking know. This is the one time where I'm good at my job because the plot needs me to be. Um, but at, halfway through, a rat climbs up his ass, and so he uh, uh, wriggles about and keeps on getting like slightly burned. These, uh, I should be clear that these lasers are not alarm lasers. Uh, these are fire lasers. Uh, you know how sometimes you have lasers where if you break them, alarm goes off. In this one, uh, your arm gets chopped off. Uh, but so he gets constantly uh, little singes and stuff, uh, but eventually gets through. Um, they then, find uh, the... some sort of information. I can't, what do they Yeah, find basically out? it points them towards a... I believe it's something along the lines of like it points them towards uh, the kind of main... Uh, like like some kind of bakery in St. Petersburg or whatever moscow um uh, is it not then... is it not in chechnya maybe i'm wrong no where? there's no, certainly something the that happens moment. in chechnya in this movie just because the no, only you're, reason you're right. i maybe thought it's, of it you're right maybe, maybe uh, it's the only reason i thought of it is like chechnya is a very safe place to set your movie because it it sounds like it doesn't feel like a real place it is a real place no. but it's it's vague enough and uh not racialized specifically enough that, that, that it's a very safe place to be like this is where the evil stuff happens chechnya yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um uh, some guy shows up who i think the guy who owns the house and basically uh, is gonna shoot them uh max smart again and his now he's competent uh shoots uh shoots him dead point blank they head across to chechnya they're gonna infiltrate uh this kind of evil bakery which um is where they're keeping the nuclear warheads uh although so they think we're producing nuclear waste yeah uh, um so tool. she uh in a key bit of plot she gives him uh a little like thing to stick in his jaw so she can hear what he's saying um uh but it's not really used that much it's very odd it feels like it's set up for a big moment and it's never really but basically she can hear him while he's infiltrating this place um he goes into a bakery and i want to talk about this bakery uh because the the way in which you get into this place he's like ah yes i'm here uh for for something hot she's like oh yes we have hot hot rolls they just made and he's like no no, no hotter he's like oh well we've got spicy meatball um <laughs> just don't know suddenly italian um um but uh, then she's like i'm here because chechkin sent me for the uranium she goes ah okay take ticket and then she walks away and he's like well no what take a ticket and then he takes a ticket you know how like you'd have a ticket in a in a, in a, in a baker's and that opens 
the secret door. Now, Alexander, what like that is horrible security. Why would you have your way to make a secret door open? Something that any normal customer would also do in this place. It'd be like if there was a secret door in Sainsbury's and the way you opened it was by sticking your card in the card machine. <laughs> like this makes no fucking sense. Um, anyway, uh, he, he gets into the building. Uh, we have quite a, a fun little uh, thing with the evil guy where he's like, oh, are you from Control? And uh, he says, no, if I was, you'd already be dead. And then he goes, well, if you were, you'd already be dead. And then Steve Grogs goes, well, neither of us are dead, so I can't be a member of Control. Um, and his uh, little sidekick, we haven't talked much about the villains at this point. They're kind of uh, not very uh, distinctly characterized. It's a Russian guy in his short fat sidekick uh they lead him into a room where they're like this is where the uranium's being made uh and uh he, he they take him into a room and it's actually just like a blank room and he's like what you lied to me yes i know you're a member of control so we're gonna kill bum, you bum, bum. and your friend um at which point steve Carell again there's no point where like steve Carell's like relaying hidden messages which would be the no. logical thing to do with that like jaw thing it's just at this point he goes get out agent 99 well it, comes, uh, it, it does come up Sort of in a second, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah, at this point, he then kind of uh, he's left alone with um, the guy from Borat. Uh, yes, um, but th- so this is the point where I want to talk about the inconsistencies in the fat jokes because uh, he he manages to incapacitate him, but he needs to use his eye. Uh, his eye scan to take him out. So we get a scene of like, oh, look, he's struggling. It's like a physical comedy bit of he's struggling to lift up the fat guy. Yeah. So, but you don't get to do both jokes. You don't get to do the joke five minutes ago, which is like, look, it's so surprising that he can lift up uh, this fat lady in a d- uh, dirty dancing lift. And then five minutes later, make a joke about, oh, this fat guy's so difficult to lift. Like, you d- you don't get to make both sides. You shouldn't make either jokes, but you don't get to make both sides of the fucking joke. Like, which part is it? Is he strong enough to lift up a fat person or isn't he? Or is he only strong enough to lift up a fat person when it's convenient to the plot it's it's silly um anyway he uh, manages to escape uh he gets into the baking area where he's like there's yellow cake and she's like what okay well no there's like yellow cake uranium uranium but also there's a yellow cake here <laughs> and it's someone's birthday apparently um goodness gracious what happens next so then basically what happens is he sets up a b- bunch of remote uh, explosives, not necessarily to blow up the uranium, obviously that'd be bad, but to kind of like collapse the, um, uh, weapons, the plant weapons down facility. on top of it to kind of bury the stuff. Yeah. Uh, they then proceed to escape. The guy from earlier in the film, the the, the tool chaos agent. Um, uh, the great Carly. Yeah, follows after them. Uh, on the roof, uh, Maxwell Smart's like, you go to your wife. Uh, your wife's yes, sister is uh, a bitch. The- Yes, this is established from earlier when it's clear that he's been listening in on uh, these chaos agents. He's like, oh, shit, I recognize you. I know what's going on with your life. And yes, says, go go back to your wife. Go on, she loves you. And the great Carly is like, oh, fine. I guess I'm changed. Um, the great Carly then just fucking swings out of there. He just grabs on, uh, on electrical wire and just swings himself off the building without them. Um, yeah. They then swing themselves off uh, the building, but they get stuck. He just misses the window and he says, oh, Missed it by a couple inches. This much. Um, missed it by this much, yep. Yeah. Uh, at which point there's people on the other side of the building just staring at them uh, who tried to shoot them, uh, but they fall down uh, to the earth. 
uh, and uh, just walk off. They're, they're, mm. they're, they're literally just across the street, but it's, it's a, this is apparently the scene where they've decided, okay, this action sequence is over, uh, and they just fucking yeah. walk off. Um, At this point, they go back to the hotel. They've won. Hooray. Screw you, chaos. They've destroyed this. Uh, Anne Hathaway and Sikrell have a deep emotional conversation about how Anne Hathaway used to look like her mum, but she doesn't look like her mum anymore. Steve Crowd takes this as a sign, this emotional vulnerability as a sign that they should definitely bang. The next morning, he comes in with some baguettes and some pate. We go, in some of the, in the weirdest gratuitous moment of this, this movie, which I don't like, um, on the fo- Anne Hathaway's on the phone to control. Um, Agent 23 has come over to uh, Russia, has checked the scene, says, actually, there was no uranium here. It's not hot. Uh, Control goes, okay, the, the, the big boss guy, Alan Larkin, goes, okay, that means that Max has got to be a double agent, uh, so you got to take him in. All right, just take him back. He's a double agent, definitely. Um, Alan Larkin, uh, Max is smart. It's like, ooh, can I have a go on the phone? And Hathaway's like, and Hathaway then turns around. Uh, we get a really weird, like, shot of Anne Hathaway in her underwear, which I don't like. Just, yeah. It's the weirdest flash, and... I, I don't like it. It's weird. Like I, I, we just see her in her underwear. It, yeah, it's like, it's it's very very brief, and then she just co- covers herself up. But yeah, it, it seems it, odd. It why feels it's in like there. at some point they had a like tighter shot of that, and that would be even more uncomfortable. And they decided we don't want to do that, but we also don't want to reshoot the scene, so we're just going to leave it with this like brief like here are her boobs. And I don't, I don't, I don't like it. it yeah, it's, it is it's odd. weird for a family film. Um, they then. He then gets taken. Uh, but they, yeah, basically they've, they've established uh, that, yeah, a- Agent 32 has gone there, said it can't, it, there's no uranium here, so he was clearly lying. Um, uh, they, they also go like, oh, ha- Anne, did you ever did you ever see the uranium yourself? Um, I don't know about you, Alexander, but, uh, you know, spoilers for later in this movie, I immediately at this point went, oh, well, it's, it's The Rock. <laughs> then The Rock is the double agent. Like, I, we are like half an hour from the end of this movie, immediately figured it out. It's very not, not, not difficult. Um, uh, but yeah, so they, uh, she takes him in uh, and he's like, oh, what the fuck? I thought we were going to bang and now you're arresting me. This is so not how I expected this to go. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, Steve Crowell is maintaining his innocence, obviously. Um, uh, we have a, a scene where Alan Arkin like rugby tackles the, 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 the head of the military or something or the vice president. Yeah, I think the vice president. He's like, uh, uh, there's some some line about like, I've been wanting to do this since Nixon, and then like tackles the vice president. Sure, okay. Um, uh, yeah, because so basically the, the, the all of them are like, oh, control, look, they're fucking idiots. They just went and blew up a fucking bakery. What ding dongs? Um, uh, but yeah, uh, it is uh, established at this point that the president is going to be in uh, in LA. Uh, for a concert and that the bad guys are going to blow up uh, that concert, you know, for chaos. Um, Steve Carell is... There's there's also... I want to talk about this. There is a really weird scene in this uh, where uh, it cut... They're like, oh, where's the president? And it cuts to him reading a book to a bunch of children, which is clearly... A very no. strong allusion to George Bush learning about 9-11 while reading a book to a bunch of children. And I don't know why it's in this movie. It's, it's just there for like two seconds. I really don't understand it. Um, uh, anyway, Steve Carell's uh, in, um, uh, in jail. Uh, he There's another fat joke of him having a nightmare about being fat. Um, but basically he escapes out of the, um, uh, the facility, uh, and he comes across the two nerdy guys, um, uh, and he's like, well, you didn't think I was, 
uh, you didn't think I was a bad guy, did you? And like, no, not at all. And then he's like, well, why are you pointing a gun at me? And, and why are you, why are you, why are the angry faces? Um, mm. uh, and they go, oh, there's security cameras. And if it looks like we let you go, then uh, we're going to lose our job. And then there's a little comedic sequence of him, like, pretending to, to beat them up. He, like, punches one one way and he dives the other way and the other guy just passes out. Um, I think we skipped over it, but at some point, I just want to mention how this, uh, le- how this movie does connect to the other movie. Um with all of his fun gadgets um and hathaway at one point goes oh i've got exploding dental floss or something like that and there's a scene in the uh, spin-off movie with these two nerds uh where in in the height of an action scene uh, Anne hathaway calls up uh one of the nerds and goes what the fuck man why does like steve Carell have all these cool gadgets and all i've got is fucking exploding dental floss and that's it that's the entire fucking scene um <laughs> anyway um steve Carell, uh in a weird like he, he's just continually breaking into and like stealing nice cars in this movie there's like just a running joke of him stealing nice cars i think um, it's so i i at least in this one this one is uh definitely maxwell smart's car from the original tv show ah okay that makes sense um uh, so, like, but yeah he steals, so he, he steals back all like Ma- the tv show max smart's like clothes and his shoe phone and the car yes um, um we then and um, he then calls up uh, the gang. So the gang have all gone to LA because they believe that controllers made controllers made threats, and we've given nuclear warheads to every rogue state in the world. We'll give them the launch codes unless you give us two trillion dollars. Um, and so they've gone to uh, see the president in LA to try and uh, make sure that uh, you know this is all sorted out. Um, yeah. but, and, and he's given Hathaway he's given sort of a thinks call. that like he might, yeah. but he may not be a double agent. So she she kind of uh, started his escape process, sort of or getting the boost he needed. Um, they she uh, Max then gives her a call. Um, they start tracking him. They're like, oh, he's in Washington. He's climbing up this building. We're seeing shots of, uh, you know, mysterious. Uh, we think Steve Carell climbing up a building. Um, the police get to him. It's not Maxwell Smart at all. It's uh, it's one of Bruce the or Lloyd or one of the other nerds. Uh, and then it pans around, and he's actually right behind Anne Hathaway with his shoe phone. Being, and he goes like, ah, the old user phone shoe phone relay to a mobile in Washington, so they don't know where you are. Trick. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, he's basically like, uh, look, I'm fairly sure it's not, I, oh, I got a message from Ryan Seacrest. Uh, basically, uh, he, uh, is listening to the radio in the prison and, uh, Ryan Seacrest reads out a message, which is clearly from the great Carly, uh, being like, oh, hey, Maxwell Smart, you better get yourself down to the LA, uh, Wait, music hall. Carly? Yeah, I believe it's supposed to be the Oh, I thought it was meant to be from Anne Hathaway, but that makes way more sense. No, your one makes way more sense than what I thought it was. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, um, he's like, yeah, I got a message from a friend I made in Russia, uh, and he's going to be over there. Uh, and Alan Arkin is like, oh, well, you're either extremely stupid and a double agent and come all the way down, uh, you've escaped and then come all the way back, uh, or you're not a double agent, and I don't think you're stupid, so I'll trust you. Um so they're all uh, hightailing. It's also, I think, at this point that it's established that the reason, age, or earlier, Agent 99 explains that the reason she got her face changed was because she was working with someone uh, in the agency and also dating them. They had a breakup. That's why she got her face changed. It is then learned here that uh, Steve, that the uh, ex-boyfriend is uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, and Steve Crow literally just says, like, oh, my God, I feel so emasculated right now. Um 
Uh, but yes, it's established. And uh, so now Anne Hathaway and The Rock have a couple bickers as they're driving over mm-hmm. uh, to um, the uh, music hall. They get to the music hall. Uh, they have a little confrontation and Steve Carell's like, oh, why are you in such a rush? And what's that briefcase you got? Might it be the football? As in the nuclear football with the, the, the codes? Yes, I don't like real football. Ever since I got beat up by a bunch of bullies or some shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and The Rock is like, fuck this. And then he kidnaps Anne Hathaway. Uh, it's also important to note at this point, the uh, so the bad guys have like set up the bomb. It's in this in the kind of um, the Disney theater uh, the, with an orchestra. And I think there was like they played one of Beethoven symphonies at the beginning. And when it gets to the end, the, someone made a joke saying, "I love it the way it ends with a bang." Earlier in the film, we know that yes, like when the, when the song ends, it's going to detonate this nuclear bomb, destroy LA, and kill the president. Yes. They then proceed uh, to leave. Jamie, yeah. how do they try and escape a nuclear bomb they planted in LA? The bad guys. Uh, they're driving and then gonna get a plane. I yeah, well, okay. So they're they're driving out of LA and they've put a nuclear bomb in LA. Yeah, which is gonna detonate at the end of the song and they're listening to the song while they're still in LA. Now, Jamie, yeah. uh, you've been to LA. I, I know you visited some yeah. friends there. Um, what is famous about LA and driving? A lot of traffic. A lot of traffic in lot, LA. A lot, lot of traffic. Jamie, if you'd put a nuclear bomb in a city, and you had to escape that city. Do you think the best way to escape the city is to <laughs> drive in LA? Because that seems like the surefire's way of committing suicide. Yeah, there's there's a couple flaws in the plan. Um, so uh, yeah, we we get the classic. We're at the end of an action comedy, so we're just going to have action sequences now and very little comedy. Uh, well, there's you know they're driving away, and Alan Alda gets a plane, and and you know he parachutes onto oh, onto the car. We have the best. We have my favorite joke in the entire film, which actually I still remember yep. to this day. Which is um, the? Cr- what do you mean? Remember the, the, to this day? Did you not watch this film? No, no, recently? before from the first time I saw it when I was a kid. Oh, but, okay. um, and like, oh God, it, it's during the plane sequence. They're kind of going over the highway. Uh, they're trying to catch up to the bad guys uh, or to to um, the rock. And uh, a kid sees the plane uh, going over the highway, and it's like, "Mom, mom, mom!" And the, the mom just turns around and goes, "Mom, mom, mom!" Do you see how annoying that is? And that that has stuck with me for years, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, there's a bunch of acts. The, the car, the cars on the highway, they're uh, going back and forth. Yeah, and, people think, oh, uh, then it ends up on a bunch. Of... The cars on fire. Oh no! Yeah, rocks, it ends on a train rock. track. Oh, it's heading towards a. Uh, a train, train and oh they're they're stuck actually on the back of the uh, the the car oh. because uh there's a there's a like flag dragging behind the back of the car and uh, steve carell's stuck he's tied to it but anne hathaway isn't so he chucks her off right before the train comes and hits the car oh what and anne hathaway's sad now because we're supposed to believe that she's convincingly fallen in love with steve carell over the course of and this movie dead. and that he's dead now and oh and then he comes up and he goes oh Missed it by this much. <laughs> um, and then they uh, look at the bomb uh, and they, they read on the bomb some some like, some like clue that leads to the idea that it's going to go off uh, when the final note of the, um, uh, of the symphony is played. Again, yeah. horrible way of blowing up your bomb. Why not just have it yeah, be just, a button? Just, you dramatic bitches. As soon as the bitches. president's in there and then you've taken a plane out of LA, just hit the button, you're done. All right? Let's, yeah. let's not be an idiot. So, go uh, back the, in. The, yeah, the president's been uh, falling asleep uh, while watching uh, this orchestra, uh, but he wakes up as soon as Steve Carell uh, rugby tackles the composer and he's like, hey, that was fun. Um, and Steve Carell's like, uh, there was a bomb. And they're like, oh, where? Uh, if there's a fucking bomb, well, where is it? And he's like, how about under the piano? And he goes, no, look, and it's under the piano. And Anne Hathaway goes, Maxwell, was that a complete guess? 
Yes. Um, uh, but he now has his crowning moment. He has been a successful field agent and everyone's uh, applauding him and he's like, yeah. But what's this? His butt is showing in his in his most in amazing moment ever. His booty is showing, Alexander. How how embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then uh, we get the, the, the resolution to the film. Um, Anne Hathaway has bought Steve Carell the dog. Um, and they go together to romantically. Yeah, they're together romantically and they're like, oh, no one knows we're dating. And Alan Arkin walks by and goes, everyone does. Uh, and so, yeah, they're they're all happy and together. We then get a weird final uh, final little moment with uh, the two nerds who uh, talked earlier about how they're going to replace uh, Terry Crews and David Koechner with um, a, a robot called Hamey. Um, and Patrick Warburton comes out and he's like, I'm the new agent. My name's Hamey. And uh, Terry Crews and David Koechner are like, oh, well, we make fun of the new guy, okay? So we're going to, that's what we do. So uh, I'm going to punch you in the stomach for some fucking reason. Jeez. I punched him in the stomach. He's made of metal. And uh, Patrick Warburton is like, oh, I'm, my name is not new guy. It's Hamey. I'm manly. Uh, and then Anne Hathaway and Steve Carell uh walk uh are leaving through all those closing doors that we uh, saw at the beginning uh, but one of them doesn't close so steve Carell takes a little screwdriver to it and he gets flattened and then his knife falls on the floor and then he gets stabbed in the face by the dart the the dart from his uh knife and the movie is over fuck me i did not expect us to go this long on this episode um we can move and to I'm, the next bit fairly quickly. I like, know, but Alexander, we're talking about comedy, and you know I like to talk about comedy for far that too is true, long. That is true. And we've not given me the time to do it. And it's getting dark outside, and the lights in my room aren't on, so I'm starting to look creepy on the Zoom. Um, yeah, so let's... Uh, oh, before we... Uh, do uh, discuss this movie uh, and our ratings. Uh, we've of course got anagrams, where we have to make an anagram of this movie's uh, title uh, and try to summarize the plot. Um, I have one, and it's not I have good. Two. I have one or two. Not very good. <laughs> you have either one or two. Um, it's difficult when uh, the title of this movie is Get Smart. Uh, so I've got rat gem that's all i've got rat gem a rat does appear in this movie that is true that is true um uh, you know i would say that uh one is that uh you know in this movie of course maxwell smart goes from being a uh, a rookie spy to a master oh that's uh that's pretty good pretty good uh and the other one is that, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, obviously Control, famous for their assassinations. Uh, who do they assassinate? Targets. Oh, very very good. Very good. Much better than mine. Much better than mine. So, uh, let's talk about this film. Uh, of course, when we rate these films, we do them on uh, four categories. We have the film out of five, Anne Hathaway's performance out of five. Um, the uh, uh, Anne Hathaway, uh, the America's sweetheart how much America's sweetheart is Anne Hathaway in this film? And then we decide whether we're going to stash away this film. Uh, is this film going to galvanize humanity uh, uh, to fight back against the aliens? And sorry, of course, I forgot our list, which is Anne's Mans, which is ranking Anne Hathaway's uh, love interests uh, in these uh, movies. So let's just talk about this film in general. Um, so I've talked about uh, my, my dislike of rom-coms before. Um, I haven't as much talked about my dislike of action comedies. 
don't dislike them as much, but I find that action comedies and rom-coms uh, suffer from very similar problems. And I've discussed this very early on in the podcast about my dislike of rom-coms, that I feel like each part in often, not always, not often, not always, but in most bad versions of these movies, uh, the each part is actively in conflict with each other, that the romance has to make sacrifices for the comedy and the comedy has to make sacrifices for the romance. And I find that that is also often the case with action comedies, where the action isn't as good as an action movie and the comedy isn't as good as a comedy movie because they both have to make sacrifices for each other. For example, in a rom-com, often the stakes uh, are, are very strange and the romance has to constantly be undercut by the comedy, but the comedy also the romance then gets in the way of the comedy often now i'm not saying this is the case for all movies but i find that most bad versions of these movies do have that issue in common so when you combine action rom com it's all over the place now i didn't actually dislike this movie that much i just felt it was very formulaic I felt like it hit yeah. all the beats of an action comedy or an action rom-com and that almost not just that the the action and the romance and the comedy were not properly fused that they were almost actively interrupting each other in this movie that like yeah. th the comedy and the romance would have to just take a seat because oh okay we're doing an action scene right now uh, or the ro the comedy would have to take a seat because oh god we're doing a romance scene right now and the best versions of these movies, which I do fully believe exist, I, I think yeah. personally with rom-coms, they are well, rare yeah, because mean, they're not my favourite kind of thing. But like, they do exist. As you discussed, like, I mean, like, the Jump Street films, for instance, exactly. are action comedies. They are, they're more comedies, but like, and I, I think about this quite a lot, actually, where like, I I disagree with you on your your thought that like, comedy, like the, the hybrid comedy, thinks so rom-com, action comedy kind of thing, struggles. Because I think in theory, what it should be is like, the comedy should come from those things. Like in yeah. theory, for me, and I think it's, I think this is a case of um, people often doing it poorly. That like, you know, physical comedy is uh, to some extent should be an extension of action, right? Like uh, people like, uh, you know, obviously kind of. There's a lot of better essays about this, like on like Jackie Chan and like the way in which like Jackie Chan is could, yeah. like can make action like makes jokes with with uh, through violence or even someone like uh, like an Edgar Wright. Like pretty much all of his movies are action movies, but they are also you know, they, they involve a lot of action in them, but they're yes, also funny and, films. And they, yes, and, and the action actively informs the comedy and the comedy yeah. comes through the action. It's, so so I think, and I think we probably agree on this, the issue is when it's, that people feel like they have to separate those things out. When, when you, yeah. I, I think this is the same for romance too, right? Like, um, the issue comes when it's not, when the comedy isn't derived from the romance. Exactly. When it's just like, we have to have jokes and the jokes aren't that great and we have to have romance and the romance isn't that great rather yep. than letting those things inform each other. Exactly. Um, and, and I agree, this this film feels very much like very choppy and like, hey, a cool sequences that they like jump out of a plane but then also, you know, just some weird fat jokes and all that yeah, kind of that, that, yeah. Having said that, outside of the, the jokes that age poorly, I think this is a technically quite well-written comedy. As I mentioned earlier, there's like 15 things that are set up in the first 20 minutes that do have some level of payoff in the denouement of the film. This film is constantly setting up things to call back. So technically, it is a well-written film. And I did laugh. I would, 
I could, that's, I think that's the way we differ, right? Because I would agree, I could see all the setups, and I could see all the payoffs, I just didn't laugh at very many of them. There were very I didn't laugh, I laugh at most of film. those. There were times when I laughed at this movie, but it wasn't mostly from those callbacks, because, uh, yeah, I felt like those callbacks were formulaic. Like, yeah. even though it's technically what I'm like, oh, that, that was clever. Yeah. You wrote it at the beginning, and then it's here at the, the end. They, they, they felt like, formulaic. Yeah. And again, I, I know you don't like a, a movie like, uh, I know you don't like Baby Driver, but the other Edgar Wright, for whatever, whatever Edgar Wright, I, know, I, 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 I like Baby good. Driver. I like Baby Driver. Uh, I, 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 I get worried about stating my like for Baby Driver because yes. I, I fully recognise that it is a problematic movie in many ways. Um, oh yeah, but, the, the, but Baby Driver a is a film which, like, unfortunately, the more the longer it goes afterwards, and like, I maintain that nowadays the biggest problem with that is the cast. Like, is yeah. unfortunately the. But the biggest at the time it was like, man, wouldn't it be great if Edgar Wright, like, I don't know, made any films about women? Um, and hey, I think the next one apparently is Jimmy. Oh, that's maybe, exciting. Maybe we'll maybe find out whether he can actually write sometimes women. reminds people to I don't know work with women and make more like and maybe I don't know make some adjustments about their art. That's maybe a good thing. Uh, but yeah, the worst thing about Baby Driver now is everyone in it. Uh, which was yes. originally one of the best things about the film. Hey, John Hamm. John Hamm's still good. We still yeah, got John yeah. Hamm. And, John and cast great. John Hamm in more comedies, guys. Hollywood. Cast yeah, John, John Hamm. Oh, John Hamm's even, great. even as someone who is uh, feels like he is personally attacked by someone that attractive also being that funny, still cast John Hamm in more comedies. He's yeah. great. He's anyway, not even funny in that um, film. He's just great. But anyway, so yeah. what I mean is like Edgar Wright films are a very good example of like, hey, set up payoff. Except I think what's good about it is that like, you don't really quite recognise things are being set up until no, they've paid exactly, off. No, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, we talked about this before, such a huge part of comedy is surprise. And the reason I feel like most of these payoffs didn't work is because I could tell they were setups when they were happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, when they were happening, I was like, oh, they're introducing that detail because it's going to have a joke later. Um, mm. So while, while I feel like it's technically well-written, like, I yeah. did laugh occasionally, it, it, but that, I would say most of the laughter I had came from the fact that Steve Carell is a talented comedic performer. He yeah. just the, is. Sure. And, and, and yeah. I, 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 to be fair, Anne Hathaway is not given many of the jokey lines. I was, I was, I was about to say that Anne Hathaway I, is not that talented of a comedic performer, but she's not given much to work with here. Yeah. I, I also think, and this is my bigger problem with the movie, is that like, I think it does Anne Hathaway's character dirty in a way that I don't really <laughs> like. Like she's meant to be a super competent spy and all this kind of crap, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I feel icky about the weird scene where we see her, where we see her in her underwear. Like, I feel that just it feels icky to me. I don't like that she ends up with Max. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no. The the, uh, the romance in this movie makes no sense. Like, yeah. he he is not portrayed as alluring or confident or any real positive romantic traits yeah. really at any point he's, in this movie he's portrayed as a he's portrayed as like a um relatively guy. smart he, person yeah he's like he is meant to, like he almost seems like a guy who goes um well actually uh yeah. i think you'll find the original you know he's like a well actually guy like it's it's fine but it's like okay sure i, yeah, I don't I, I really dislike that for her character yeah i i, 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 I wish it had just been him at the end realizing that like oh, she's just a competent... Rather than when he sees her moment of vulnerability as, oh, this is a romantic opportunity, I wish he had seen it as, she is a co- she is my colleague, and it is tough for her, and, like, this romance in this work environment has made her work tough, and like me, the thing she likes most in this world is this work. Yeah, and in fact, in fact, almost her entire character is based upon the fact she went through such a traumatic experience of dating someone in the workplace that she had... 
an incredible amount of reconstructive surgery. Maybe the, 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 the thing you should get from that is not, what if she had a better workplace romance? Well, the issue was was actually that it just wasn't with me. Um, yeah, yeah the, the romance in this movie really just makes... they they. The only reason Anne Hathaway gets with Steve Carell's character in this movie is because he's the main character. Like, yeah. that is it. They they do very... it, And it, I was about to say they do very little effort in trying to, to make the romance work. I don't even think that's true. They try to make the romance work. I just think it doesn't land. The romantic yeah. moments don't work. He is, he is portrayed as, like you say, an idiot when the plot needs him to be, but also just kind of a dickhead for a lot of the movie. Mm. Um... Yeah. So let's let's get on to our ratings uh, before we get perilously close to this uh, episode being longer than the film itself uh, and entering that club of episodes, which I don't want Get Smart to be in that club of no, episodes. It's not worth it. um, um, yeah, so, so, so uh, this film, film out, of five. out of five. Oh, two. Like, I, 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 it's 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 not offensive as much as I've been like I don't like X Y Z. Like, in the, in the same way that uh, uh, people, uh, you know. Like whatever, like it, 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 it's, it's, it has some jokes which have aged poorly. They haven't aged mm. so poorly that I've been like, this film is like trash. But like, I just don't find much of that funny. No, uh, I mean, I, I think I found it funnier than you did, but uh, through mostly performance. While it is a technically well written film, uh, most of the like word based jokes are not that great. Uh, the the action sequences are good, even if, even though they feel yeah. very much separate from the rest of the movie. They are they are technically well made. Um, so I'm where am I going to put this? I, I I think I have to put this below the first Princess Diaries. Do I? Yeah, I think I have to. I think I think you would be upset if I didn't put this below the first Princess Diaries. Uh, so I'm gonna get. Yep. I just think the Princess Diaries does what it sets out to do better. Yes, like, no, I feel you. I would agree with that. So even yeah. though uh, this is probably closer, because I do enjoy action comedies, although I feel like sure. most of them fall into uh, the same sort of traps all the time. Uh, so this movie is a movie I would enjoy normally more than Princess Diaries. Princess Diaries just is not my kind of movie. Uh, I Yeah, I, I agree with you that it sets out to do what it wants to do better. So I gave Princess Diaries a 2.9. So I'm going to give this a 2.8. The benefit of the decimal, Alexander. <laughs> you keep saying this, Jamie, but every time you're like, well, I'm going to give this point one less. Honestly, I'm more and more convinced that just sticking to my whole numbers is way better. <laughs> every time you're like, oh, ooh, it's going to be point one or point, ooh, I did a 4.3 there, but oh, well, this means I'm screwed for the next one. I, I'm just like, cool. I just, I just each one I'm going to be taking <laughs> individually, and at the end, I'll see what I think of the things. Um, uh, we now go to the America's uh, Anne Hathaway's performance. No, no, Anne, Anne Hathaway's performance. Um, sure. Like I say, she's not given much to carry in terms of the comedy side of things. Uh, she is given a decent amount to carry in the action side of things, and I think she does it uh, passably well. I, I, I think she plays that sexy femme fatale well, even though some of the sexiness is, uh, sexy moments are weird and out of tone with the rest of the movie. That's clearly what they're going for. Uh, and she, um, she handles herself capably there, but she's not really given much to do. Um in her emotional moments you know when she's when she's looking for steve carell thinking she's died you know she looks appropriately sad uh so i will give her just below a three i'll give her a 2.9 interesting uh i i will i'm gonna give her a two in this i i this this comes back to the the classic problem we had with tom hanks this is not necessarily a, a comment on them as an actor it is a comment on 
people's picking of films like yeah. you as an actor make a choice to be in the movie and what that allows and like i think this is the least she's ever been pushed in a film um yeah including princess diaries too like you know like i'm, I'm i i just think it's i i dislike that she basically comes in here to be the hot person who's the the other star like and i, I don't I, that's that's unfair to to her as an actress but like i feel that's how the movie treats her the movie treats her as she's a bond girl but it, in the most it, in what a way that feels kind of very retrograde um yeah so like what like watching an old sean connery movie um rather than modern bond girls who at least get some more character development yeah uh, we then have America's Sweetheart Tomato, which I think is an interesting one for this one because it's definitely not in the uh, realm of, you know, your your Princess Diaries sort of America's Sweetheart. But I definitely think America uh, does have a uh, <laughs> a soft spot or perhaps a hard spot uh, for, for the sexy femme fatale. Um, they they do enjoy their, their action-based uh, ladies. Uh, so I, I think she comes up higher than you would expect. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, this is very much at, like like you said, she makes sixteen movies in like four years, six years, whatever it is. Like she is at the height of her commercial prowess in this film. Um, yeah. And or, or getting assume, into the height of yeah, or getting into it. I don't see like well, I I, I don't know. I think I I would say it starts with Devil's Brother. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pass yeah, from there. So I would say that I think this is like a like a solid three i don't i don't think anyone really I, the honest thing, thing is that like this made, movie made 220 million dollars do i think most of the people who watch this movie in cinema remember much about this movie no so i don't think it, <laughs> it's a it stands out in america's heart fair enough uh i'm gonna give it a 3.5 uh i think i think uh if if taken in isolation let uh, it, even though it was it, it was not as you say as um uh, strong in the American conscious, I think. I think of those that saw it, uh, they would they would feel very endeared to Anne Hathaway, even though uh, she is particularly underused in this. Um, and with that, we move on to Anne's Man's our rating of uh, Anne Hathaway's uh, love interests in movies. Now, interestingly, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is technically yeah. a love are we including him he's he's yeah, he's not portrayed he's as a love interest in this movie he is oh, he's, he, he, okay you're throwing Dwayne the Rock Johnson Jamie in. Jamie if that was if that was an issue half the people on my list wouldn't be on my list okay but they fair are, enough so it's I, okay. I'm happy to go with Dwayne the Rock so we've got Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Steve Carell um now who do you want to start with I'm gonna start with Steve Carell okay um because for me Steve Carell pretty low on this list all right yeah he's, no he sucks I, he sucks he he sucks they don't have any real romantic chemistry um uh, just uh, so uh steve carell is coming in pretty low on the list uh my numbering currently screwed up so i can't tell you the exact number but i can tell you where he falls between he is uh above mr collins from becoming jane which puts him at uh one uh, two above uh prince parties pranks and papier mache uh, he's below just in between uh nicholas nickleby because uh, at least Nicholas Nickleby, I don't know, they had some more chemistry. Yeah. Nicholas Nickleby is only so far down that list because I really didn't like the performance of the guy who played Nicholas Nickleby. Yeah, otherwise no, he'd help. be much higher up. Um, so he's, he's pretty low down the list. What about you? Where does where does Maxwell Smart? Yeah, no, from? also coming just below Nicholas Nickleby. Uh, yeah. I, I, he's he's above faux gangster from Havoc because that guy's a, a a little dickhead. White of course, above the Baron uh, because he's a cat. 
uh, and above Lawrence Fox because he's a twat. Um, oh, I've got I've got my new I've got my new catchphrase for the bottom of, above the parent because he's a cat and above Lawrence Fox because he's a twat. Um, but yeah, coming in at fourth bottom. Not not strong performance from who I've called Max Power in this movie uh, in my list, which is actually a Simpsons reference. Um, so we then get onto The Rock, who is a traitor to his country in this movie, but I think I'm still going to put him higher than Steve Carell. Oh, oh 100%. So, so, I mean, he's, uh... he's jacked. It, it, this isn't even... Uh, the rock at you know his peak the peak of his powers but my man's still pretty fucking sexy in this movie uh so i mean ah i mean oh oh i keep looking and he's going higher and higher (laughs) i'm comparing them one by one um oh my god uh shit (laughs) he's coming in fifth (laughs) the rock is coming in fifth just above michael uh from the princess diaries and duke ellington from the princess diaries but below jack nasty from brokeback mountain it it, it, you you got to be really doing well to get past my uh man crush on jake gillenhall that's true so for me, I, I want to remind people of my top five. Uh, it is at number five, The Baron, and number four, Mr. Darcy from uh, Becoming Jane. Uh, at number um, three, uh, The Diamond Thief Prince uh, Prince from The Princess Diaries 2. <laughs> uh, at number two, The Best Chris. And at number one, Hugh Eats People from Now Enchanted. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I wish I could go back and change my one from last week. I'm not sure I can. So uh, Mr. Darcy, I, th- I think I might put too high on this list. Um... But the rock goes in at number three, which wow. sadly means the Baron wow. finally gets pushed out of the top five. Traitor, a literal traitor to his country, and sells American secrets to the Russians, breaking into the top five of both of our lists. I think. I think. I think what we've learned today is that the rock is sexy enough to get away with treason. <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much um and so with that uh are you going to stash away this film no 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 of course not uh and so when we don't stash away something we must present something else uh to humanity to galvanize them for one more week uh in all uh to, to keep them satiated um uh so what are you going to present this week because i have not thought of mine I have. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to stick with another movie. I haven't been a movie in for a while. And I'm going to think about uh, the, uh, you know, okay, so, so if we're not bringing a guest mark, maybe maybe another movie about uh, external agents uh, causing chaos in America, uh, about America, you know, assassinating people, about America, you know, trying to get control and, um, you know, dominate uh, the foreign sphere. Um I'm gonna put Sicario in uh, my uh, my my bank. I'm gonna put the Sicario in my bank. A film which is really weirdly thematically very similar to Get Smart, just in a uh, completely different way. Um, I am going to uh, present to humanity this week uh, the flowers that my mother got me uh, around about Aww. two weeks ago, uh, and the reason I'm doing that is because they have died. 
Uh, and I'm oh. just hoping that uh, the rest of humanity might be able to look after these flowers in a way that is uh, befitting the respect that my mother deserves for getting me these very nice flowers, which I have very promptly killed. Or maybe assassinated, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, so uh, that's what I'm going to present this week. And so that is our review of Get Smart, uh, coming in just below the one hour, 15 minute runtime of this movie. Um, join us. Us, uh, well, next week they can of course join us to uh, watch, as I mentioned, Rachel getting married. Uh, I believe it's either Rachel getting married or it. You you tell them what they can do uh, in the next week until we're waiting for Guys, the next we have episode. Very little and time. I will. Very 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 quickly. Just go out and just you know just just spread the word, spread the gospel, bring people back from the dead by getting into listening to this podcast. That's true. Our podcast can bring people back from the dead only if they were killed by aliens. If they killed in real life, unfortunately, we cannot bring them back from the dead. Uh, you know, you can go listen to the music of Kendrick Lamar, the Spin for Butterfly. What a great album. You know, just just solid, just just full of fucking jams. Uh, you can. Uh, uh, you know, tweet at me what your favorite album is, uh, and then you can, alongside that, tweet your link with your favorite podcast episode. Uh, like I said in this podcast, uh, we discuss things here, which would be good to uh, go back and listen to other episodes where we talk about comedy, specifically Turner and Hooch. Or I guess if you really want to hear Jamie rant about comedy, you can go back and listen to Punchline. Don't Punchline, to Punchline, a whole movie about stand-up uh, where I get way too indulgent. Uh, and you can join us next week, uh, where uh, I'm going to be deeply analyzing uh, why Anne Hathaway's character is called Kim with a Y in Rachel Getting Married. So join us next week for that. And for now, from me, Jamie, and my co-host Al, that's one more ep in the bank. Oh, Jamie. Ooh, sorry, just let me cover up my slip. You saw me in my <laughs> underwear here. Ooh, ooh, oh, ooh, fuck. Ooh. I'm going to come while watching this with my kids. <laughs> what? You said it was a family movie. Blank spank. 